Let's pray again. Father, thank you so much for every gift you've given us, including the gift of music. Helps us understand things and experience things that when music is, is well done and it's done for you, helps us understand things about life and things about you that are experienced differently through this wonderful gift you've given us. Thank you for the gift of prayer, of friendship, of family, of knowing that you're our Father. Help me, Lord, as I preach. You know my, my limitations and my fears this morning. I give those over to you. And Lord, I ask that as we hear your teaching about prayer, we would be encouraged to pray. In Christ's name, amen. This is the third of four weeks in a very basic series that we do every few years. Our normal pattern here at Cross Point is we pick a book of the Bible and we move through it. We'll be back to that very soon, but periodically early in the year, this time a little closer to the middle of the year, I wanted to teach you some doctrinal biblical basics about the process of how God grows people up as Christians. So really four topics. We began with love because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We talked about what love is and what it actually means in our culture that uses love as a synonym for practically everything. You can love everything from your kids to pizza, and hopefully you love your kids more than you love pizza. We talked about what it means to be loved by God, to love Him in return, and how that love should continually be spilling out. A genuine love for God will always lead to a genuine love for people, even those who are very different from us, who may even mistreat us. And last week, I started talking to you about reading Scripture, because in this love relationship, there's a loop of communication. And when we open up the Scriptures, according to the Bible itself, we are encountering the very breath and words of God. And we have this tremendous privilege of God speaking to us, and maybe you've had the experience. And because life changes, God never does, but because life changes, it's amazing what you can find and learn in His Word. Hearing from God in His Word has literally made me sit up straight with shock at the correction, a little trip behind the woodshed I'm taking when God shows me how far my heart, my motives have drifted from His path for me. And other times I've been moved to tears with comfort and encouragement of knowing how good He is and being reminded in writing how much He actually loves me. But we want to hear from God first. In a loving relationship, we do well at listening. We work at listening. So we listen to God when we read His Word, and then He gives us the privilege of closing the loop. He not only invites us and allows us, He tells us repeatedly with all of these amazing word pictures and commandments. We'll go into a couple of them this week. But God is continually telling His beloved children to talk to Him in prayer. But prayer is a mysterious thing. And pastors often make a mistake when they teach about prayer, as I intend to do this morning. We talk all about prayer, and we don't pray. You ever had that experience? I once took a semester-long course in seminary regarding prayer. We never prayed for more than 20 seconds at the very beginning of the class. 
And the ironies just struck me. When we were talking about talking to God, what if we do something revolutionary and actually talk to God? Why then listen to His Word about prayer to learn how to do it, to be encouraged by it? And there's a point in this message, and I'll make sure to point it out to you, where we're going to go into one of the deepest verses in the entire New Testament. It's something, it's one of those verses that made me sit up straight in shock the first time I read it with attention way back when I was in college. I'm going to try to show you what it means, give you some idea of all that God is doing when you actually take time to pray, but suffice it to say, God is listening. And one of the proofs of that is found at the end of 1 John. These passages, not all of them, but the main passages will be on your outline. You can follow along with me there if you like, or you can open your Bible in 1 John chapter 5. And there's a typo in your bulletin, and the fault is mine. We're actually reading and beginning in verse 13, not 14. 1 John 5, verse 13. 1 John, here's something pretty obvious, is not the gospel of John. It's different. It's a personal letter. John is the closest of Jesus' disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed. John was physically closest to Jesus. He was his confidant in those final hours. And John of the apostles is apparently going to be the only survivor, the only one who is not actually murdered for his faith in Jesus. John apparently reached old age. And for in his old age, he wrote letters, and he gave us the famous book of Revelation. The first letter of John is concerned with reminding Christians that Jesus is real. Because then and now, the supernatural claims that God had actually sent his son who became a human being and lived among us perfectly in our place, faced all of our temptations and overcame them, and then purposely went to die on the cross to suffer the punishment that my sin and your sin deserved, and then took his life back just as he promised in the resurrection so that he could give us eternal life, those radical, supernatural, only God can do it ideas were already attacked within the lifetime of the men who walked alongside Jesus. And the first Christian heresy was something called Gnosticism, And it denied that Jesus could actually come in the flesh, that God had become a human being. So John writes this letter primarily to shore up and remind them of the core of the Christian faith. In the very first verses, he reminds them, we saw Jesus, we heard Jesus, we even touched him with our hands. And then he goes on to tell them, this is the the Christian life, this is Christ, and here's how do you know if you actually know God. And as Jesus did, John brings it back to love. If you really know God, you will love God, and if you really love God, you'll also love your brother. If you say that you love God and hate your brother, you don't know God at all. Very simple, very clear, very practical. And right at the end of the letter, after giving all these assurances and reminding them of what real personal trust in this Jesus who walked, died, and rose again, all to save people, right at the end of the letter, and it seems like a detour, John starts talking about prayer. I want you to see it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. 
He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what the letter's been about. The letter of the the letter that John wrote was designed to give them certainty that having placed their trust in Jesus, the actual Son of God, they may now know that they have eternal life. So if you've come seeking certainty from God that you can have home in heaven, have your sins forgiven now in eternal life later, you've come to the right place. Not because we're the right people, but because you've come to a place that will tell you about Jesus who actually lives and loves you. You can know that you have eternal life. That's what it says. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what's the operative verb again? Know that you have eternal life. Last week I talked to a college student and I was so humbled and thankful for the trust because we had only met once before. We talked about an hour on the phone. He asked me a really pointed personal question. He said, are you sure about this stuff? Are you sure that you're, when you die, you're going to go on living, you're going to have eternal life? I said, absolutely, not because of me, but because of Jesus. And he said, I, I want to have that. So we're on that journey. And 1 John 5.13 is one of the verses I've tried to show him. John says that certainty of eternal life is not a hope-so thing, it's a no-so thing. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. So here's a simple way to share the gospel, by the way. Best question I've ever found to lead into, if eternal life comes up or you bring it up, you can say, are you sure that you have eternal life or are you still working on it? And the last part is the part that does the work. Because people who have any inkling of their mortality and are trying to make sure that something happens good for them in the afterlife, they're doing the best they can with the knowledge they have and they're working on it. And they might say, well, I, I hope so. I don't know, but I hope so. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm going to church. I'm doing the stuff. I'm... One guy told me I'm, I'm trying to be a good guy for the right reasons. And you can say, well, could I show you a verse that says that you can know for sure? And if they say, well, no, I don't want to hear it, well, then you're done. We're not salesmen. We're witnesses. A witness tells what they've seen. They introduce Jesus to people. If they don't want to hear from Jesus, that's fine. But if they say, yeah, sure, what is it? You take them to this verse and you can show them these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's the greatest certainty that anybody could have. 1 John 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And then this is the turn that I noticed only recently. It's embarrassing how long it took me to make this connection. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him. So look, John is still talking about things that you can know for sure. He's saying, I've written you these things because Jesus was actually born, lived among us, died among us, and we saw Him risen from the dead. 
So you can know on the basis of trusting Him that you have eternal life, but you can also be confident of something else. This is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. You can be sure, John says, that if you ask anything according to the Lord's will, you will be heard. And if you know that you've been heard in whatever you asked Him, you can know that you have the request that you put before Him. Does that make sense? Now, have you ever prayed and wondered if you were asking for the right thing? Wow, this might be the most holy, uh, this might be the holiest group I've ever talked to. Nobody has ever struggled with that. I do, because that's the nature of a personal relationship. I can ask for things, I'm not sure what the other person wants, and if the other person is God, I mean, I'm a married dude, I seldom know what my wife wants. I was doing a men's retreat many years ago and gave a little, since we were all up on the mountain by ourselves and no one could be embarrassed by the absent, because the wives weren't there. I asked, gave these guys a quiz of about 40 things of their wife's favorite things, favorite food, favorite color, favorite. hardly anybody knew anything, right? <laughs> and one of them was favorite restaurant. And one guy told me a couple weeks later, he kind of embarrassed himself because he was quite sure of his answer. He went home, took her there and said, you know, I, I love to bring you here because I know it's your favorite. She said, I don't really like this place. <laughs> and he said, well, wh what do you mean? because we come here all the time, she says, that's because it's your favorite. <laughs> okay, so that's marriage. Imagine knowing the will of God. How will you know the will of God? First, He speaks. You listen. He's made His will, His character, His plans quite clear in Scripture. That's why we began with reading, you listen to Him, and then it says, this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us whenever we, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So the key then is knowing the will of God. Does that make sense? You've been invited to pray, and you've been given this assurance, just as you have eternal life, just as you can know that, you can also be just as sure that you can pray and be heard and receive answers. The key is knowing the will of God. However will we know the will of God? Well, before we pray, I want to show you two things in Scripture. One is a pure gift from God that has nothing to do with you. The other is a gift from God where Jesus invites your cooperation. The first pure gift from God that is always operating from the moment you trust Christ, and this is the deep part of the, this is the deep part of the sermon, and I don't mean hard to understand, I mean hard to fathom that God could be so good and hard for normal human beings to imagine how God does this. Look with me in Romans 8 verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, this is one of Paul's letters. He's writing to Christians in the ancient city of Rome. 
and he's going to teach them about prayer. Romans 8, verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, Spirit is capitalized by the translators in your English Bible because it's not the Spirit of man. This is the Holy Spirit that Paul is referring to. This brings us into the very nature and character of God. It's hard to understand. It's impossible to get our minds around. But Scripture tells us from literally the first pages of Scripture, it begins with a hint and then it explains it fully. There is one God who eternally exists in three co-equal, co-essential persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the persons of the persons within the Trinity, and it's hard to know how to talk about this, but they are in fellowship with one another, they love one another so that the Father, for instance, sends the Son, the Son obeys the Father, you trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and gives you new life. Romans 8.26, without warning, Paul drops you into the mystery of the Trinity, but what he wants to tell you is something very encouraging about prayer. Likewise, the Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. What weakness? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I'm so glad that God is aware of my weakness and not only is aware, but He spelled out and told me, Bruce, you don't know what to pray for. It's right there in Romans 8, 26. My human nature, my weakness, my sinfulness, my selfishness, my ignorance, all those things, because I can be both ignorant and stupid. I don't know about you. Ignorant means you don't know. Stupid means you do know and you still don't care. Okay? I have been and I am both. But it says the, whole, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We are ignorant of what to pray for. We don't know sometimes how to pray. We don't know what is right. We don't know what is best. Here's the heavy part. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what's that mean? I can't actually completely understand it. But intercedes means that one person speaks on behalf of another. And Romans 8.26 says, the Spirit Himself, emphatic, the Holy Spirit, who will help us in our weakness, knowing that we do not, how to, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, intercedes it says, Romans 8, verse 26, intercedes for us. And he's not casual about it either. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been in such intensity that you mean to speak, but you groan instead? It's happened to me two or three times in my life because those are, those are rare when you're literally... You can't speak. You try to speak, and you just groan instead. I can't even begin to fathom what that looks like. Do you know how much love is represented in what I just read to you? If you've ever needed, for instance, an attorney, you've had a professional advocate. Some of you have worked with victims' advocates or intercessors or advocates for various causes or issues. 
that doesn't begin to do it justice because here's how it works with attorneys. And I have several friends who are great attorneys. They advocate, they try, they may do their best, but when it's over, guess what? It's over and they get paid. The Holy Spirit intercedes in your weakness, it says, with groanings that are too deep for words. In other words, it's as if Paul is saying, I can't tell you how much the Holy Spirit cares as you pray. What is he interceding for? What does that look like? The next verse says, he who searches hearts, that's God, who knows the motives, knows the intentions, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What does that mean? If I can just put it in very simple terms, I'm down here in trouble, needing God's wisdom with all kinds of different pressures and problems. My prayer list is a mess because I've got all these different things to pray for. I'm worried I don't even have enough time to cover them all. Ever been in that situation? You keep hopping from request to request. It's your family, it's your job, it's your dating life, it's money, it's pressure, it's depression, it's anxiety, it's the state of the world, it's whatever's going on with you. Your mind keeps skipping around, and you can't keep your mind straight. You don't know what to pray for. As you're doing that, the entire Trinity, God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of God, three persons, is invested because the Father is listening. And the Son, we're told, is at His right hand interceding for you. And now this gives me the surprising news that it's not just the Son interceding, the Spirit is interceding in me. And the Father and the Spirit, they can hear what I'm saying, and I don't know what I'm talking about. But they do. And when I don't understand God, His plan, His will, I have no idea what to say. I'm, God wants me over here, and I'm praying fervently in this direction. Has anybody ever had that experience? Usually, you usually only learn those lessons with time where you're just so sure, God, if you would just give me that, or her, or whatever the case may be, if you would just help me with this, everything would be great. Ten years later, you're way over there knowing that that was the best thing all along. How do you do that? You do that with the confidence that as you pray, the Father is listening, the Son is interceding for you, the Spirit is interceding within you, and the Father and the Spirit, knowing that you don't know, they know and they understand each other. And I've looked for 20 years for the proper words to explain this concept. I can't find them. I suppose it is something not only like intercession, but something like translation. Or I'm praying and pouring out all my ignorance, telling God what to do. Have you ever done that? And the Father and the Spirit in this eternal relationship, two persons within the Holy Trinity, are listening to each other, speaking to each other. They know each other perfectly because they are two persons, but they are one God. And it's as if the Father and the Spirit say to each other, we know what He needs. This is what He means. If he knew what we know, this is what he would ask for. Those of you who are parents might be able to get your mind around that a little bit. Haven't you sometimes wished your kids would ask you for the right thing? Because they're only seven and they don't know any better, but you do. 
And isn't it a great joy in parenting when they start asking you finally for the right kinds of things? They've matured. So God has given you a great gift already. Every time you pray, the Father is listening and the Son and the Spirit are interceding and the intercession of the Spirit is so intense that Paul says it's with groanings that are too deep for words and the Father and the Spirit who know each other The Father is listening, the Spirit is interceding, verse 27, according to the will of God. And verse 28, we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. In other words, God knows what He's doing all along. What a concept. That God might have a plan. And that He might have designed and the point... and provided for you, the point of all this is to tell you with clarity and certainty, when you pray, things that you cannot see and cannot begin to imagine immediately start happening, not because you're awesome, but because God is. And the great question, according to Jesus, is whether when Jesus returns, according to what we read in Luke 18 with that comical story of the bad judge, When the Son of Man comes to earth, will he find faith? In other words, will anyone still believe enough to keep praying? This is what God has provided for you to pray according to his will. Because remember, John said, if we ask for anything according to his will, we know two things. We know he heard us, and we know he's going to do it. So even when you don't know, God has provided you something magnificent for you to go into His will. Even when you don't know, there is intercession before the throne and within your own life to bring you into conformity with God's will. But there's another gift that I'm going to show you now, and then we're going to pray, that you can actually do, that you can cooperate with Jesus, that you can obey Jesus to come into step with His will. And it's found in John 15, verse 7, which is also there on your sheet. Look with me there, please. John 15, verse 7. Jesus said, if you have it off the sheet, there's a lot of different translations of the Bible, so it's always dangerous to read in public. But if you can read it off the sheet, off the bulletin, we can all read the same thing. Did you read John 15, verse 7? This is what Jesus said. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is Jesus' explanation of what John wrote over in 1 John 5. There's no doubt in my mind. John is explaining to readers in the first century after the resurrection of Jesus, this is how prayer works. We know that God is listening, and we know that as soon as we pray according to His will, He's not only going to hear us, He's going to do what we ask. Here's Jesus telling you what it means, what it looks like, and most of all, what you can do to pray according to His will. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So there's two conditions to asking God for anything and seeing it done. What are they? Verse 7, we're studying together. 
First part, you abide in me. Second part, my words abide in you. What's that mean? Here's the simplest way I've found to explain it. Abiding sounds like this. If you make yourself at home with me, and if my words make themselves at home in you. That's what it means to abide. It means to stay close. If you know your Bible, you know that here in John 15, Jesus is explaining this great truth that He's the vine, we're just the branches. And that all that we need to do, but we must do it, is stay in the vine. And if a branch is connected to a healthy, life-giving vine, what will that branch do? It'll produce fruit. And Jesus says, in this personal relationship that you and I have, if you abide in me, in other words, if you make yourself at home with me. Now, in this relationship, you're making yourself at home with Jesus. Who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. Why? Because He's given you His Word. He's told you who He is and what He wants. And making yourself at home with His Word means inviting His person and His teaching into your life to set you in order, to give you direction, to give you correction, to give you encouragement, to give you inspiration and fuel and all the things that you need with this always at the bottom. He's in charge, not you. He's the vine, you're the branches. You can't do anything without Him. And the great task, the need, the beauty, the difference comes at making yourself at home with the Lord, letting His words make themselves at home with you. And when those two wills come together, no wonder, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So someone will really practically ask. I've been asked this. Bruce, is it a thing that, is it prayer changes things or prayer changes us? Do you know the answer? The answer is yes. <laughs> Both. James said, you have not because you ask not. He also said, you ask wrongly to spend on your evil desires. There are things that God gives only in response to prayer. There are things that God will never grant because they're not according to His will. How do you find out the difference? You take this amazing privilege of knowing that you are loved and you were told repeatedly by the King of all that is, the Creator of the entire universe, who by His own design and love has decided also not only to be your Creator but be your Heavenly Father at the cost of His own Son. I mean, think about that. The Bible says that the love of God is like adoption. And that's one of the most beautiful word pictures where God chooses to bring more people into His family. But the whole story is far more dramatic and costly and beautiful and loving than our adoption because we never send one of our own children to death to bring more kids into the family. Nobody would adopt if the cost of adopting a child was the willing death of another. But that's what God did. Jesus laid his own life down and then he took it back up again so that the family of God would grow. And it's all over the world. 
And there are people literally meeting in secret churches in many places in this nation, persecuted, forsaken, sometimes starved, often jailed, sometimes (laughs) murdered, all because the love of God is so real and precious and life-changing that He has been believed all around the world, and He is so loving that He has invited you into a personal relationship with Him and told you all across the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, talk to me. I'm listening. I love you. I know what's best for you. And I want you to stay so close to my son Jesus and be so comfortable and at home with him that you become like him. And when you start praying, our will will match and then I will give you what you ask. So I give this simple definition of prayer. Prayer is the privilege that God has given us of talking to him so that we learn to love him and do his will. That's what prayer is. It's one side of a loving relationship. It is an immense privilege that he will always take your call. Did you know that not everybody will? I've sometimes called important people and I've not gotten past the secretary's secretary. If you call Hall enough up the chain, you'll find out the assistants have assistants. God gives you the unmerited, completely of him privilege of talking to him, knowing that he will listen to you and he has already provided his spirit to address your ignorance and speak to him on your behalf with an intensity and with a care and a love and a concern and a passion that you cannot begin to master. So, parents, when you pray for your children, understand the Holy Spirit intercedes for your kids far more intensely than you do. So mom, dad, if you're praying for your kids and your heart is broken and tears are dripping off your face, imagine what the Spirit is saying to the Father about your kids. Stunning. He's given us the privilege of talking to Him, not so that we can talk Him into doing what we want, no, so that we can learn to love Him. Walk in the first grade and the greatest commandment, and as we journey with Him and our will comes into conformity with His own, we learn to do His will. And now we're going to pray. What a concept. We're going to pray for a few minutes because I've been convicted, and this won't be every single Sunday, but I'm, I'm convicted of my prayerlessness and that prayer is not nearly enough of the life of our church. So if you would, would you please open your Bibles in Matthew chapter 6. And look in verse 6. Jesus said, when you pray, Matthew 6, 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Listen, here's your confidence. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done. In other words, we'll pray first for His priorities, for His fame, for His reverence, for people to admire Him, not us. 
Not for our little empire to be built, for, but for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll then pray for our needs because Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and that encompasses everything you need for the life that God gave you. Forgive us our debts. In other words, we'll ask God to forgive our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors. In other words, when we detect bitterness and unforgiveness in our own lives, we'll tell God about it and ask Him to give us the grace to forgive people who've wronged us. Finally, we'll pray for spiritual protection in this world because Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer twice. First, I'm going to invite you to pray for yourself individually. And then if you'll notice, Jesus taught us to pray, give us our Father. In other words, it's not only an individual relationship, it's a family relationship, it's a church relationship, it's a community of God's people coming to Him together. So first, let's pray. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first, pray for His glory, His priorities. Praise Him and ask Him to give you His mind, His sight for what He wants. Ask Him for His will to be done, not yours. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. You have needs. Tell your Father, who already knows. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. So if there are things that are on your conscience, sins that you're aware of, name them, tell your Father about them, ask His forgiveness.
Jesus added, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Anyone you hate, anyone you resent, tell your father about it. Tell them that you want to forgive them the way he forgave you. then Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you know what temptations are characteristic? Do you know what makes you fail and stumble? Ask him for his protection. Ask him for his guidance away from that and through that. We've been praying individually, but listen to the plural. Let's pray communally. Let's pray for our church family. Let's pray for God's kingdom work beyond our own individual lives. Because Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So pray for the family. Pray for the household of God. Pray for those of us who are pastors and for the many families here and their struggles. That they would have God's priorities. That God would supply their needs. That they would be forgiven their sins. They would extend forgiveness to others. And they would be kept from temptation. Father, we pray with the confidence of your Son who taught us and promised us this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Thank you, Jesus, that you asked us which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. For he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Thank you for telling us, Jesus, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven 
give good things to those who ask him. So Lord, give us the confidence to ask because you love us, because the Spirit intercedes within us, because the Son intercedes before us, and because you already know what is good, what is best. Help us keep praying. Help us grow in love and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we give you this offering. This, too, is part of our trust. Many Christians do not give or do not give in a significant way simply because they don't believe you can take care of them. Teach them better, Lord. Encourage them. Correct them. Help us grow in loving trust for you and receive this offering, these songs, these prayer requests, whatever people give to you. We ask that you would receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen.